Welcome to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. In chapter 55 of Isaiah, verse 11, God tells the prophet, So will my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me void without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Standing on this promise, T.D. Stubblefield Ministries is committed to sharing biblical principles with individuals, families, churches, communities, and our world, believing that only the Word of God can advance us in God's perfect plan for our lives, where we can experience liberating faith, lasting hope, and unconditional love in a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Dr. T.D. Stubblefield with today's Advancing Word. There is a passage the Lord has put in my spirit, Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14, and I'm going to read this passage in the New Living Translation of the Bible. Chapter 13, verses 11 through 14 reads, This is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Amen. I want to preach for a little while from this subject. It is later than you think. If time was a bank account, if time was a bank account, what would your personal balance be? What would your personal balance be if time was a bank account? The answer to that searching and perhaps disturbing question is that none of us really know. We have ways, automated ways, online ways now of checking balances in other accounts. But none of us know how much time we have in the account that God has given us in terms of the days, the months, the weeks, the minutes, the hours, the seconds that we have here on this earth. In some ways, we're all hopeless gamblers, banking naively on the hope that we have more time left than it has taken for me to complete this sentence. One of the most notable parables that Jesus told is recorded in the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. It was about a man who experienced success and prosperity. He was called the rich fool. His response to the bountiful harvest God had blessed him with was to tear down his barns and build bigger ones. If you read the passage, it appears that he was obsessed with himself. But his party was tragically crashed when God told him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. In a memorable sermon on this text, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., in his collections of sermons called Strength to Love, said that the rich man was a fool because he permitted the ends for which he lived to become confused with the means by which he lived. 
The economic structure of his life absorbed his destiny. I submit that his fundamental problem was his ignorance of the fleeting nature of time. While he banked his profits, he built his bonds and enhanced his wealth, he made a grievous error when he assumed to use his very words, and I will tell my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. It was later than he thought. The Apostle Paul, in this passage, attempts to encourage a sense of urgency in his Roman congregants. And it is this urgency and awareness that anchors not only what he's discussed in the verses prior to this passage, the expression of Christian love, but what follows in chapter 14, the experience of Christian liberty. When I saw this pattern in the text, I asked the question, what does it mean? What principles uh, should we embrace, should we be aware of, if we really understand that it is later than we think? The first thing that comes out of the text is that we need to wake up from complacent living. Brothers and sisters, it is not only the beginning of a new year, but in a spiritual realm, it is, the, it is early in the morning. It is the daybreak of another day of grace, of spiritual light that God has given us to dispel the darkness of ignorance and unbelief. And because grace woke us up this morning, the sun of his righteousness is still shining. God has, God has a low tolerance for darkness. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 of the Bible, the words are, the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. But then we have these words in verse 3. Then the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. In a New Testament parallel of this passage, in his magnificent prologue, John's Gospel, he says, the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. The light has shined, and it's shining even this morning. But as it was in Jesus' day, the darkness of complacency and indifference often mar, mask, and mar our view. We are indifferent to the times and the season, and so often our indifference translates into complacency. It is reported that a wealthy Frenchman asked his gardener to plant a tree. The gardener objected that the tree was slow growing. He says, what's the rush? He says, it's slow growing and it would not reach maturity for 100 years. The Frenchman replied to his servant, in that case, there is no time to lose. Plant it this afternoon. I like reading the cartoons. One of my favorites is Mother Goose and Grimm by Mike Peters. A few years ago, I read one of the strips, and two of the primary characters, cat and dog, were having an exchange. Dog was holding a book, a Christmas present, and cat said, what's that? Dog said, it's my daily devotional. Every day has an uplifting message for dogs. Cat said, what's today's message? 
Dog said, today's message is life is short. Eat the cat first. <laughs> now, Paul in this text is not saying eat the cat first. But what he is saying is that we have to put first things first. In light of the dawning of the new day of salvation and the imminent fulfillment of all God has promised us, it's time to get in a hurry. Y'all say get in a hurry. In light of what God has done, in light of what he's doing right now, in light of what he wants to do, it is time to get in a hurry. I thought about this. Practically all professional football teams, NFL teams, have added what they call the hurry-up offense to their game plans. It is designed to throw the opposing defense off their rhythm so they cannot defend a play effectively. And sometimes the hurry-up offense is used when the team needs to score quickly. Paul is encouraging his readers and us to get in a hurry. Jesus said it well in the Gospel of John chapter 9. He said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. For night comes when no man can work. You know, I think about it in the context of the life of the church. I believe it's time for a hurry up offense. It's a good time. It's a good Sunday to install a hurry up offense here. When we have a hurry up offense, people will be hurrying to Sunday school. Hurry up to Bible study and evangelism training. Hurry up. In Christian giving, if we really believe God means what he says, we'll take him seriously when he tells us to bring all the tithe to the storehouse. Prove me now, herewith saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, so much so that your barns will not be able to hold it. We need to hurry up in prayer. Hair up and worship. When God has blessed you with feet to stand on, when God has blessed you with hands to clap, with a mouth to praise Him, we need to hurry up. Hurry up in worship. Hurry up in reconciling with our brothers and sisters. We need to try to build some bridges. Hurry up because it's later than we think. We ought to wake up from complacent living. But we also, the second thing in the text is we ought to clean up from carnal living. Clean up from carnal living. Don't waste our time on carnal pursuits. The way this is positioned in the text, the inference is those who do so are simply staying in bed. And there's only one reason you stay in bed. Either you're tired or you're sick. Paul said when we choose carnal pursuits, we're staying in bed. We're choosing darkness over light. You know, there are only two absolute conditions in the Christian life, status quo spirituality and status quo carnality. And it all depends on who or what is controlling your life. If the Holy Spirit is in charge, you are experiencing status quo spirituality. And if the old nature of the flesh is in charge, you're experiencing status quo carnality. And here's the thing. You and I cannot experience both at the same time. 
It's the influencer. And, and what we ought to be doing, if we understand that it's later than we think, is there ought to be more moments in our lives when the Holy Ghost is in charge. When we're really saying to him, lead me, guide me along the way. There's a great text that deals with this subject. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 25. It's such an important text. I want you to have it in your notes. It's so applicable to what Paul is saying here. He says, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these, there is no law. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the sinful nature with his passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us step with the Spirit. If we really believe it is later than we think, we're going to be in step with the Spirit of God. I dare you, if you really want to see a change in your life, to just ask God the Holy Spirit to take control. When we make our own choices, we always mess up. But just say, Lord, I want you to take control of my life. With whatever time I have left, I want you to manage it. I want you to be in charge. It's later than we think. It's time to clean up. Clean up from carnal living. It's interesting to me that quarreling and jealousy are included in the things that we need to clean up or get rid of. These things are placed on a par with wild parties, sexual promiscuity, and drunkenness. I'm reminded of what Paul said to another group of believers. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. There are some Christians who would never consider going on a drinking binge or clubbing all night long or having an affair, but will engage in divisive and quarrelsome, contentious behavior in and outside the church. Y'all know I'm right about those things that we call big sins. They never do. But always at the heart of some confusion. Clean up from carnal desires. But Isaiah appealed to another generation of believers to clean up, and he tells us how we do it. He says, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. The clean up occurs when we take our burdens to the Lord and we leave them there. God, in this text, is reminding us 
that he's putting the finishing touches on our salvation. One of these days, the salvation that began when we gave our lives to the Lord will be consummated. The only two possibilities. One is the Lord will come back and get us. And the other is we'll go see him. Are you really so sure? Are you really so sure that you think you can guarantee that you're going to be here 12 months from now? I don't know if I'm going to be here 12 months. But one thing I know, I know he's in charge. Do I have a witness here? I know that my life is hid with Christ in God. And no matter what happens to me, everything's going to be all right. I say this because sometimes we act like we know. We talk like we know. We treat other people like we know. We live like we know that time is guaranteed. And I'm telling you, it may be later than you think. In the first two instances, we wake up from complacent living. We clean up from carnal living. But we dress up in the third instance, in the final part of this passage, we dress up for Christ-like living. We dress up. The believer is encouraged to put on Christ and to clothe himself or herself in the very presence of Christ. As I was reflecting on this, I thought about how there are two rooms in the Christian journey. One I call God's waiting room. And the other is God's dressing room. You see, in God's waiting room, we learn to wait on God. We learn to trust in his word. And we learn to depend on him. In God's waiting room, we learn what David learned, that when mother or father leave me, the Lord will take me up. We learn what he learned when he said I had fainted in the 27th Psalm unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And he goes on to say, wait on the Lord and be of good carriage and he shall strengthen thine heart. In God's waiting room, we learn what Isaiah knew and you know it's one of my favorite verses. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength, mount up on wings as eagles, run and not be weary and walk and not be tired. Anybody spend some time in God's waiting room. I'm a witness today that he may not come when you want him, but he's always on time. But then there's God's dressing room. While in God's dressing room, we learn that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. To the pulling down of strongholds, casting down of imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. In God's dressing room, we put on the whole armor of God. You see, if you really believe it's later than you think you ought to dress up now, you ought to put on the whole armor of God. 
just in case you don't know what it is, going over division six and you'll see what that warp robe look like. You need to put on the helmet of salvation. You need to have your lawns girded about with truth. You need to put on the gospel shoes and, and then get the breastplate of righteousness. You need to pick up the shield of faith and, and you need to make sure you got the sword of the Holy Spirit. Do have a witness. Some of you wondering, uh, well, pastor's not as animated uh, as he normally is. Uh, I'm just so glad uh, to stand up here this morning uh, and to be able to hold the mic. Uh, somebody here today uh, need to know it's later than you think. Uh, uh, you need uh, to wake up uh, and you need to clean up, uh, but you sure enough need to dress up, uh, put on the whole armor. Do I have a witness? You have been listening to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. We pray that you have been encouraged with what your ears have heard and your hearts have felt. Explore our website at tdstubblefield.org for more information about us and to obtain resources provided by T.D. Stubblefield Ministries. Until next time, be blessed and remember to stop stressing and start stepping, advancing in faith, hope, and love by reading and applying the Word of God so you can stand on certain truth for uncertain times.